the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. Jason Earl, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is episode 75, and our guest is Christina Murray. What a thrill, y'all. Christina is a singer and songwriter from Georgia who now makes her home in Nashville. Y'all, do yourself a favor and spend some time with Christina's music. Her record, Southern Ambrosia, is her most recent full-length, and it is just wonderful we talk about that gorgeous work of art and so much more during this conversation christina is thoughtful intelligent interesting all the things you want from a guest and i'm so thankful to bring this conversation to you everyone it is my honor to present my conversation with christina murray I do this all the time and it doesn't matter. I'm going to mess something up. You know, like thankfully Zoom records everything so I can't fuck up the recording, which is like 80% of my anxiety every time I do an interview. Um, so Zoom just takes the wheel. <laughs> Zoom take the wheel. <laughs> I got you. Oh, thank you so much for doing this. I am so yeah. excited to talk with you. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to participate. What, let's my first question I've been asking, and I'm really interested in this from you is like, since March, pretty much every interview, I've just been like, how are you? So like, <laughs> how are you doing? I think, yeah, I think that's a great, I mean, question to start with, right? Yeah. I don't know. It's such a um, roller coaster that one, you know, day I'll be fine. And then the next day I'll be awful so today I, I feel pretty good um i think you know i'm getting ready to go home 
to to Atlanta for a few days. So I think just the anticipation of seeing my family is exciting, but also terrifying. So today it feels exciting, but probably tomorrow I'll have a, a total freak out about it. But um, yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been the Corona coaster, just, I think for everyone. Um, and I'm, I'm included in that. Well, going home is a good place to to kind of start as well, because um, I I want to talk about place uh, a little bit. Yeah. Southern Ambrosia, first of all, brilliant. I I told you that personally, but I want to go on record just saying how much I love it. I really appreciate that. Thank you I mean, so much just really, really wonderful record. And um, I've had the great pleasure of listening to it about a hundred times over the last three days as I get ready for this, um, which has been super fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You should probably get a check for like 85 cents or something just yeah. for me coming up soon. So you're welcome. Um, but uh, but I am curious about, about place with you uh, because you talk a lot about place on the record and um, it, it, you grow up in Georgia, go to college, if I remember correctly, in South Carolina, end up in Colorado, end up in Nashville. And so those decision points about, about moving and how those affect your creative life, I'm curious about. So like, when you make those decisions, um, are they creatively driven? Are they personally driven? Like, how do you decide in those moments in your life where you're going to be in the world? Yeah, wow, that's a really great and involved question. Um, I think when I decided to make the move to Colorado, it was both academically driven because I needed to do an internship to finish my degree at Clemson. Um, so I, I needed to do an internship um, and I had really had this longing to get out of the South for a period of time. You know, I was born and raised in Atlanta and then I only, pretty much only ever traveled uh, in and around the, uh, the South, South Carolina and Florida, <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe North Carolina, um, and then went to school, you know, uh, in South Carolina. And um, I was 20, you know, 19, 20, and I was really like, I need, I think it would be really healthy and good for me to get out of this, this region that I've been in and grown up in. And so that was a big motivating factor in moving to Colorado. It was also another, you know, big impetus for that as well as I was, I was really getting into bluegrass music at the time. And right about that time, like mid 2000s, um, mid to late 2000s, there's a really big burgeoning young person bluegrass scene um, on the front range in Colorado. So it was, it was kind of equal parts driven by the desire to get out of the South, um, the need to complete an internship. My, my uh, degrees in parks and recreation in Colorado was a great place to do that. Um, and then also, you know, a third part by wanting to, to play music more. Um, and that was a really great place to do that. So certainly um, the move there was, was kind of equal parts, all those things. And then, you know, moving back to Nashville, I, I would say it would be a, almost 100% creatively motivated. Um, hmm. uh, my, my whole family still lives um, in the South. Um, so I think there was a part, also a big part of that being closer to home, being closer to family. Um, 
and then also the desire to just be back in the in the region of the country that really um you know was my roots you know getting home to things like there's sweet tea in restaurants and there's trees you know <laughs> there's a lot of things like there's not a lot of it there's rain you know thunderstorms and stuff you know, there's a lot of things that i didn't realize i would miss when i lived out west um and and then you know when it was time to come home it was time to come home so and then also obviously moving to nashville was just wanting to be a part of a a broader music scene um yeah can you say more about that though because i think you know that <clears throat> i think a lot of musicians especially country or folk or um you know americana rooted kind of musicians struggle with that question sometimes of like, do you go to Nashville or do you continue to do your thing somewhere else? Yeah. Um, what, like, was that at all a difficult decision or did that just seem like a, the natural progression for you, you know, in your, in your career? Yeah, I, I think it was a natural progression. When, when I got tired of living in Colorado, um, I got real sick of it really fast. <laughs> You know, it might have had something to do with the fact that it snowed on Mother's Day the last year I lived there. And I was like, it's May, it's time to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think also it was just, I felt like I had hit a ceiling um, with what I could accomplish there as far as like, you know, I, I, I'm, I hope this doesn't sound like I'm, I'm knocking the scene there because I do think it is does have a, a role to play obviously in my history, but also um, there's a lot of great music that comes out of Colorado for sure, but it was so, um, for me where I was, it was so, uh, bar band and covers driven mostly. It was really hard to get shows that kind of, um, exposed or showcased a, a songwriter, um, which is what I kind of, which is what I eventually wanted the direction I wanted to move in. It was more just like, man, you got to play four hours worth of classic country. And, and again, like, I'm so glad that I learned how to do that by living out there. Um, but I think, you know, when I got to that ceiling of like, okay, I'm hosting an open mic night, I'm playing kind of the same route of bars um, that I've normally been doing, this really feels like I'm hitting the ceiling for what I want to accomplish creatively. And I also wanted to be part of more of a younger singer songwriter scene um, of, country artists and Americana artists. And, and that it was and is happening in Colorado, but um, I think just the kind of country and Americana music I wanted to make was just pulling me a lot towards Nashville. And there was already like a, a small cluster of that already kind of brewing and coming up. Um, and when I moved here about seven, seven years ago, six years ago. Um, and so I was, I was really drawn to that. But there was a period where it was like, okay, or am I going to move to Nashville or I'm, am I going to move to Austin? So it was mm. kind of like, you know, a, a very strong pull of the two places and Nashville went out because Texas is really hot. <laughs> Austin <laughs> is really expensive. Mm -hmm. um, so. Do I move to this coolest city in America or this yeah. other coolest city in America? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, it's true. Uh, I never had the New York City pool. I never wanted to live in New York. Mm. Um, and I love California, but it's like a whole damn different country out there, man. It's yep. it's wild and it's really far away. Um, but yeah, it's also really expensive. So 
it was kind of just like a natural fit to come to Nashville. I mean, it's the home, you know, it's the home of country music. And I, I'm so in love with country music and obsessed with country music. So to live in the city that exists because of country music, I think was really special to me, is really special to me. So if that, it, the, and I agree with you about California, like, I'll never forget the first time I, I drove into California from Nevada and it was like, uh, there's like a border check. I mean, it's, it's an agricultural check or whatever. Like they're making sure you're not bringing produce in, right. but it, there's, but, but seriously, you have to stop at the border. It feels like traveling through Europe in the nineties or something. It's so wild. Like the rest of the country, you just pass by and next thing you know, you're in a different state. But anyway, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, for sure. Um, the the country music I, I find it interesting that that you sort of you ended up getting this this education so to speak in playing country music in Colorado whereas um, but if I if I understand correctly most of the stuff that was playing at your in, in your house growing up like you had a musical education growing up but it was mostly like more rock and roll is that yeah. correct so. Definitely. Can you talk a little bit about that, like growing up on rock and roll and and then getting really into country music? Because I feel like that comes into play in your records. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly. I mean, my my children, my my children, my parents are are you know children of the sixties. Like they mm -hmm. they were hippie throwbacks, and it was always like Allman Brothers and the band and Bob Dylan, lots of Bob Dylan. I mean, growing up in my house, lots of Zeppelin. I mean. Mm -hmm lots of blues music. So that was always on in my house. Like my mom cooking, my dad hanging out on the back porch, like smoking cigarettes and reading and listening to, you know, um, blonde on blonde or, or whatever it is. And, and, um, so, so there was that whole piece of growing up with, with this. And then on the side, my mom also had CDs like Jesse Coulter and Emmy Lou, like luxury liner and, um, of course, a bunch of Joni Mitchell. So there was an aspect of like the folk and country in there a little bit, but it wasn't like the hard stuff, really. I mean, other than like a Patsy Cline greatest hits record that we had. Um, other than that, it wasn't really a lot of country music. But right at about like fourth or fifth grade, I started going to sleepaway camp, the summer camp. And that was in the North Georgia mountains. And mm. that's where I met like lots of different kinds of um, mm. of other people you know that i maybe didn't really experience going growing up going to public school in atlanta mm. and that's where i kind of first heard terry clark and tim mcgraw and the dixie chicks and so mm. when when you know mainstream country radio was was good you know with those acts <laughs> i i thought it was great you know trisha yearwood all that stuff um i i started listening to that you know right right when i was starting to get into middle school which i think is I don't know, I think right at about middle school, you kind of start to develop your own musical identity. That's when I started, um, you know, getting more serious about playing. I played the violin um, starting in first grade, but I started to get oh, wow. more serious about music um, in middle school. And I think having those country, commercial, you know, radio country influences. I mean, I think I made up a dance to um, something like that by Tim McGraw. I had like barbecue stain, you know, <laughs> kind of a little dance. And anyway, so, so those kind of all mixed together. And then right in, you know, when I started playing guitar in high school is when I started to really get into folk, kind of more folk music, because uh, I think it's easier to play it, yeah. it, you know, other than just like power chords. 
for rock and roll. And um, yeah, so I, I got into that and then, I don't know. My, my answer is kind of winding now. I forgot what I was going to say. Well, <laughs> you know, what, what I was curious about was like the intersection of that and like how, how rock and roll and how growing up on sort of classic rock, so to speak, 60s and 70s rock, and then later getting into country music and, and then, and then really kind of like honing your chops later in life in Colorado playing that country music, like how that influences your creative process now those kind of the convergence of those things, I guess, is what yeah. I'm, what I'm curious about. Yeah. I, I wonder too, if it's not so much, um, genre specific, if it's mm. just, uh, the kind of songs that I like and relate to. Um, so I, when I think about what music and what songs really move me, um, you know, it's, it's very melody driven, lyric, lyric, um, strong lyricism. Um, and I, you know, I, it's hard to say this without sounding like a music snob because I've definitely been accused of being a music snob by my non-musician friends. I always, right. always basically think that all of my musician friends are also music snobs. And I think that's pretty, pretty accurate, you know? Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> my my non-musician friends, you know, have accused me of, of being kind of a music snob, but, but at some point it's kind of like, well, this is something that I give a lot of my time to and have given a lot of my time to and study. So of course I'm going to be, be more drawn to these kinds of music that are stronger and, and perhaps melody and, and song structure and, and lyricism and kind of the marriage of all those things, as opposed to pop music. And now I'm not knocking pop music or saying it doesn't have a place in the musical river of, you know, of life, but, but it's just not something I'm drawn to, I think, because that's a little bit more like beat or hook driven, I suppose, than, than something, you know, um, that I would be more drawn to. Can we unpack that a little bit? Cause I, I'm curious about, like, I read something where you said uh, something to the effect of, and I don't want to misquote you, but that like lyrics, like you're, you're, you're obsessed with words and that the written word is very important to you. And so lyrics often are the first thing that comes to you when you're writing. Yeah. Um, but then you just also said that like melody is, is incredibly important. And so can you talk a little bit about how that comes together as you're writing? If, if words are, are paramount, but also right. melody is incredibly important. Yeah, I suppose. So when, when I get asked or I'm having a conversation about new music or even older music that I've maybe never heard, and I think about what adheres me to that song or that band, um, it's, it's what kind of initially grabs me. So, and I think what generally grabs me when I hear other songs that I start to really like is, is the melody. So maybe there's like a, uh, a minor that's plugged in in the right place a minor three or something or like perhaps like the hook has or you know part of the chorus has like a um a scale rundown uh, I, i'm finding that there's a couple of songs that i really like that has this kind of same pattern where that this it falls down the scale um and that's part of the hook line so i think what initially grabs me are is can be melody and then when i really dig into the song and they there's like 
you know, a line that really strikes a chord with me or that I relate to, or that is like, oh man, I wish I had the balls to say that in a song myself. You know, I think that's where I kind of get into the weeds a little bit more um, when I'm listening to other songs. Now, if I'm writing, I personally feel that I am stronger with lyricism and I'm always writing lyrics, like on a daily basis, I'm always jotting down notes in my phone or like on a piece of paper about something I read or something I heard. And so how could I twist that around into a song? How could I pull that into a song? Or I have a thought, like, let me write that down. And then I kind of build from there. So I'm always kind of constantly writing. And when I go to sit down to, to actually work on music and, and work on songs, I'm working from a lyric space, gen from a word space generally. I very rarely like come up with melody without words. And, I, and I, feel so, I feel so envious of people that are really good at like, you know, sitting down to their piano or, or humming out a melody because that, that just does not come as easily to me. I can relate to that. You know, I, I write just for fun. I write songs for fun and, and play open mics and that kind of thing. And um, it's always lyrics for me. Like it does not come naturally to me th that I just hear a melody. Rarely. Sometimes it does. But I think that's really interesting though. And I wonder how many people, because I think sometimes, most of the time when I talk to songwriters, it's melody first and then mm -hmm. lyrics, right? Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is like, I think those people, a lot of them are envious of like yeah. how it comes to you and you are envious of how it comes to them, right? Yeah. Which I think is really interesting. Yeah, me too. It's, um, yeah, I wish I could just pull a melody out of thin air, but I, I am such a victim of and I know I'm certainly not the only one of being like, oh my God, this sounds exactly like that Eagle song I heard two days ago <laughs> on the radio that, you know, I hadn't heard in four months and now I can't get that like earwig out of my head. And now I've just written this whole song. It's an exact copy of that. You know, I always, mm -hmm. when I'm playing like demos and stuff, particularly for my boyfriend or, or other, you know, band members or something, I'm like waiting to look at their face like, oh my God, they know exactly what song I ripped this from, you know, mm. because I think that's what, happens to me lyrically or uh, melodically is I'll, I'll hear like, you know, like I've been trying to rip off this Nick Lowe song for eight months and I haven't done it successfully. And, and I just, and I think that's what happens. I'm like, I want to write a song like this. That sounds like this or has this feel. And then, and then I, I start to do it. And then I just get so in my head of like, oh my gosh, everyone's going to know I'm a fraud. And then <laughs> I totally stole this song, but usually the verdict is like, no, it doesn't sound like that at all, which is good. But um, it's, it's certainly a complex that I have, but you know, with words, I just love to, they're so malleable, you know, and I just love that the word, you know, the words and, and, but like switching those around can change the whole meaning of, uh, you know, a, a stanza. And I th I, that is a very small example of, of, you know, how, how to work words. And that I think is, um, it continues to be really fascinating and, and a challenge that I, that I both love and hate about songwriting. And how much, how much of that, how much of that kind of editing do you engage in when you're writing a song? Like, you said you're writing all the time. So like when you sit down to write a song or if a song comes to you and it's, it's happening, how much of that playing with the words do you engage in on, on a regular basis? Um, 
man, probably too much in the beginning. Uh, I think I would do better to have a more of a structure of letting the song flow. If, if, if it's, if I'm, if I'm in that kind of a writing space, the song or the muse flow and then coming back and editing but i tend to get hung up with like oh man this is a really good start on the first verse and half of a chorus or a refrain line and then i'll start to kind of just obsessively go back to the first verse and the chorus and edit it or work try to rework it and then i've kind of lost the momentum of the what the store what the song story is going to be in the song and or like finishing the rest of the song so i have so many not so many, but I have quite a few songs that are half written due to this, you know, like I got so hung up and and kind of editing and trying to make perfect whatever, you know, that is <laughs> um, the first part of the song or, or whatever part that I was working on that I forget. I don't, I don't get past it. So I kind of don't really finish the song and that's to my own detriment. But sometimes what happens then is I'll take those pieces of songs and pull them out into another song and that was always what was meant to be the final product so i suppose you can't you can't be mad at any creative process that that ends up in a, in a good um in a good piece a finished piece right and that i love that i love every bit of that because I, I think you know sometimes like <clears throat> like it sounds like you are comfortable in the process it sounds like you're you're you feel okay in the process rather than expecting all the time to come to like an end result necessarily. Like, are you, are, is that true? Are you comfortable with, Hey, I've done all this work. This thing isn't going anywhere right now. Are you able to put that aside and just trust that like, okay, first of all, I've done the process, but also this may show up later. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm clearly okay with not finishing. something. And then, and I think when I'm in the process and it's going, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of an emotional person and, uh, and I don't think that's a bad thing, but I can't, when I'm in the process and it's going well, I feel really excited about it. And I feel like, oh man, this, this really has good bones and this has good potential. It's not a throwaway song, but if it's really, if, if, if I'm in the, if I'm sitting down to write and I'm in the process and it's not coming well, it's, you know, it's not coming freely and, and. Um, then I get, then I get kind of frustrated and, um, uh, a little bit fresh, you know, fed up with myself and like trying to write. And then I kind of spiral down this, like, well, you're a terrible writer. And what makes you think you can be, you can do this and, and all mm. that. So I, it's kind of, it's kind of a both, both in that regard. Um, yeah. That's good to hear. It's good to hear that, you know, you, you go through that self-doubt, but you're also able to get through it. Um, cause I think so, so often, and I guess that's true of most folks I talk to, but it's still in different ways, but it's still comforting, right? When I hear a record like Southern Ambrosia, then to, and how, how, how beautiful it is, then to talk to you about how like you go through that doubt, it makes me feel like, okay, all right, we all go through it and that's good. You know, you know not, not only knowing that other artists go through that, um, but, but also that, um, um, that I have written songs. I mean, th sometimes what I'll do is I'll kind of play through my old songs just to kind of remind myself like, oh yeah, you, you can do this. Like, mm. you know how to do that. I mean, right now I'm, you know, I'm trying to write for my third record and I've got about, depending on the day that you asked me, three to five songs that could go on the record, you know, mm. three definitely that will go. And then 
some days I like these other two that I think they, they're good enough for, for an album. Um, and I'll kind of play back through those and I'll be like, oh yeah, I can do this. I can write four to five more songs and complete another record before the end of my life or whenever, you know, I can, I can do that. <laughs> so, so kind of both knowing both of those things is, um, you know, helps to, helps me, helps to bring me out of that kind of, um, showing frauds spiral, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you kind of a, a bit of a heavy question. Uh, you mentioned Florida, visiting Florida earlier, and there's a line in strong blood that I, I read. You, you commented on the fact that it was, um, inspired in some way by the pulse tragedy. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm in Orlando and, uh, I remember, I remember that moment. So, so, uh, dramatically. Right. So my partner, Chris used to hang out at pulse and, um, we were woken in the middle of the night to all these, all these notifications. And, um, so I just wanted to, I'm curious about your, your tie to Florida. And then also like specifically about that line and how, how it ended up in the song. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot of ties to Florida. My dad, um, my dad's brother, um, was in St. Petersburg. So we did, we did visit that a handful of times growing up as a kid. And then we would go to the panhandle, um, sometimes mm. in the summer to go to the beach. And then when I was in high school, we go to, you know, Panama city and, and Destin and all that. Mm -hmm. So other than that, I don't have like expensive you know, hangout time in Florida. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, that song, um, I, it was such a, anytime I hear that song back, it, it, I am surprised at how much it takes me every time it takes me back to how I felt writing that record or writing that, um, specific song, you know, it was the summertime, uh, the house I was living in, um, had only a, a window AC in it. And I was bartending or I was serving and I was, um, would come home kind of late at night and I was so intent on finishing the song and I would come home and I'd, I'd crank up the AC unit and that's actually the only song I've ever written on an electric guitar. Um, and I would sit down with the electric guitar, I would sit on the amp with the guitar in front of the AC unit and just like try and figure this song out just with it, with the air blasting at me. It was like, I would go to work and I'd come home late at night and I'd sit down and start working on that song. So anytime I hear it, I always remember that. Um, and I remember when, um, when Pulse happened, I was working on the song, you know, a day or two later and I got the line, um, you know, in the second verse, um, newsman on the radio today said it's worse than yesterday. There, there ain't no sweet relief. And that was just kind of the, you know, the disappointment that it, continues, I mean, in that case, that mass shootings continue, were continuing to happen, you know, and, and just the helplessness feeling of that. And um, I, I mean, so that, that line is directly pulled from my feeling of this, like, I cannot believe this is still happening over and over and over again, you know, and, and just everyone's inability, everyone being the people in power their inability to quote do anything about it you know other than thoughts and prayers <laughs> which do nothing you know I mean so I think that's that's um how I was feeling that day and and that song always kind of takes me back to to that summer it was a really sad summer I was in the I was in the middle of um, um kind of a breakup with my longtime partner at the time and 
Um, so it was just, I was trying to figure out, you know, recording my record and I, I, don't, I didn't have any money and at the time still don't, but you know, <laughs> trying to figure out how I was going to afford to make this record. And, um, so it's, it's a very, it's, I love that song cause it's very autobiographical. Um, and I love the feel of it, but it's also got a little bit of a melancholiness to it. You know, is that common for you? Um, and, uh, in general, when with with the songs that you've written, like that, you just described a very clear scene writing that. Do you is that normal for you when you go back and re-listen? Are you transported to the moments that you were writing these things, or is that particular one? Sorry, my pup doesn't. He hasn't had attention in five minutes, and so he's <laughs> flipping out. Um, uh, is is that common for you, or? Um, or is it just that, that that particular song is full of such emotion and, and you were going through such a, a heavy time personally? Um, it's, it's not typical. I, I mean, I think my, my personal favorite songs of mine, um, especially ones that came in, in, in either a writing session or just over a handful of writing sessions that came kind of quickly um, in, my, in my writing process, because a lot of my songs I, would, I guess I would say half to two thirds of my songs are written over the time span and they're, they're that kind of editing process and, you know, sit down, leave it alone, come back to it another day kind of thing. But songs like Strong Blood and Slow Kill, um, Jokes on Me, um, you know, some of those I can definitely remember the sparks of them and, mm. um, and that is special. And I think that's kind of the point of, of albums, right? And records, it's a record of your life at the time. I mean, it doesn't have to be specifically about your life, but it's a record of, of what's going on in your life at the time or what you're thinking about or what the art you're influenced by, or maybe mm -hmm. what's going on in the political landscape or, you know, current events that are happening around you. So I, I like that idea that it's kind of a record of that time. And I do really appreciate and I think that those songs are special to me the ones that do trans kind of transport me back to that for sure I can relate to that so much I mean I you know looking back on this year um for the podcast it's been great you know it's been like yeah. artists are just sitting at home with nothing to do and <laughs> <laughs> so I've I've been really fortunate and and like it's so silly to me that we didn't do zoom interviews before right, right. like it's like this is brand new technology, but right. we were always doing phoners and they were clunky and it was weird right. and you couldn't see, <laughs> you know, like this is so, I don't know how it is for you, but for me, I feel like it's so much better. I can see your face and I can see whether yeah. you're into it or I'm boring you or, you know, I can like make adjustments based on, on uh, body language and the kind yeah. of things that we should have been doing for years that we didn't, but yeah. I have all, you know, but I have all these documents now of this crazy ass year. Right. Like I've immortalized yeah. this crazy year because I've done one of these basically a week for the since especially since March. And um, I was going back through and, and, and like kind of I did like a tweet storm where I went through each episode from the year and just said like a few words about it and, and tweeted the link. And I just thought, man, I'm so lucky to have this. Right. Like as crazy as this year has been. I'm so fortunate to have this doc, these documents. And when you listen to like the ones in March or April and how I felt about myself and the world and art and what, what have you. And then you listen to the most recent episodes. 
there's a difference. There's a, yeah. and it's so fascinating, right? Like how much things have changed. I mean, just to even think that in April and May, that we had this buffoon idea that we were going to be back to normal in October. It's just, it's kind of almost silly to me, you know? Yeah. Like, why do we even think that? But it's also just like, it feels like, and I know everybody feels this way. It feels like years ago that this thing started, you know, it yeah. feels like, it feels like October feels two years ago, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, crazy. It's it's really weird. Time is such an in interesting time is a construct. <laughs> oh, for sure. And, and we've been hit in the face with that over the last yeah. few months. Right. Like, and, and I like, I was reflecting on that today. I, I like that um, the arbitrary, year marker because i do like to be able to look back and reflect and um not necessarily from for nostalgia's sake but i just like to have like an accounting of my life and i i i kind of hyper do that right so um i tried i try not to you know be overly sort of like overly self-reflective if that makes any sense because um Otherwise, that's the only thing I'll do, right? And my anxiety yeah. will take over. Um, so I like the year marker because it allows me to look back and go, okay, here's here's all these things that went well. Here's some things I need to do differently. And yeah. I like, I've gotten to a place in my life where I like New Year's resolutions for that reason. Yes, right? same, same. I, it's funny with New Year's resolutions because once once I realized that you don't have to like be ashamed of yourself for not fulfilling New Year's resolutions. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let me see all the wild things that I can dream up. And then if December comes around and I haven't done any of them, I don't have to feel guilty about it. I'm yeah. an adult. <laughs> That's great. One, actually, one of, I was just thinking about this. One of my resolutions at the beginning of the year was to um, read a book a month. And I, I know that doesn't sound like very many, um, you know, and I, and I hope that among like reading all the articles and like long form articles and, and, you know, what have you, that I've, I've done that in the past, but I've actually done that this year. And I think a large, a large part of it due to, you know, coronavirus, but, um, yeah. So by the end of, you know, in the next two weeks, I'll have done over 12 books this year. And, awesome. and it's, and I feel really proud of that because I know like all the, you know, fortune 500 CEOs or whatever they were, they're reading like a book a week. And that's like what it takes to be successful. And, and I, and I do think that the, the best writers are, well read for sure um so it's been something that i've been wanting to do i'm actually I've, it's been a new year's resolution the past few years i'm actually gonna do it this year and you know next year i'd like to try and maybe make that 24 books in a full year you know so every two weeks but we'll love see. that what um so what are you what art are you fired up about at the moment like what are you either uh, it could be a book that you've read this year that really fired you up or um you know i read your list of records on lonesome highway that you got into and it matches up a lot with me too like that jamie wyatt record um yes. neon cross you mentioned it was so good and I, I lived in that record for a while yeah. um but like, what art are you fired up about right now? Are you reading anything that's got you excited? Are you listening to anything that's got you excited? Um, you know, at the beginning of the year, I read a couple books by George Saunders. Mm. And um, I still think about those stories. I read Lincoln and the Bardo and Civil War Land and Bad Decline. And um, 
I still think about the stories in Civil War Land and Bad Decline is a, um, is a novella and then a, a handful of short stories. And I still think a lot about those. Just his writing style um, is something I, I probably think about once or twice a week. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just how envious I, or not envious, I just, I just am interested in, in that kind of writing style. And, and I think short, short stories in, in general. Um, I read another one, another book of short stories, uh, what we talk about when we talk about love a couple months back, I think in, in the spring. And um, so that just really got me on a kick of like, oh, now I want to be a short story writer. Mm, <laughs> but, I mean, words. <laughs> in and of itself are, are a little bit short stories. So mm. um, I read uh, a memoir called Southern Discomfort by Tina Clark. Um, she's a, a drummer, a musician, and a producer. And I don't, I'll, I think she lives in Georgia now, but for a time she was in Nashville. But she, her memoir is about her growing up in a small town in southern Mississippi during civil rights era. And so she talks about, um, fig, you know, figuring out that she was a lesbian um, right about, you know, 10 or 12 years old. And, and she talks about that. She talks about relation, her relationships with, um, you know, her nanny who was black and uh, I don't know, it's just a really, it was a really interesting, you know, her parents are, uh, one of her parents is out al is alcoholic and it's just, it was just so, so beautifully written. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Um, music, man, I just got into this Britt Taylor record. I don't know if you've heard of her. Uh, mm -hmm. she, she's the gal out of Nashville, country singer out of Nashville, really beautiful record. Um, I think a guy named Dave Brainerd produced it, uh, Dan Arbach's on it quite a bit. Um, mm. it's, uh, just a really beautifully written, produced, recorded, uh, sung record. So I've been listening to that a lot. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've been trying to get into painting. I've been doing some mm. watercolor and um, I got some acrylics back there. And um, I do enjoy that. I get a little bit frustrated at how amateur I am at that. So trying to have some patience and some Gotta zen let go. Yep. with painting. Cause I know, I, you know, it's not something I've had a lot of practice in. So I've recently started to like look at, um, some Basquiat paintings and some condo paintings and, uh, just really kind of. The, I mean, the art world is such a huge world that I know nothing about. And I feel so timid to even just start in that world. Mm. But I really love, you know, beautiful paintings and art. And, and um, I'm just very curious as to how people are so good at that stuff. <laughs> well, and I think also uh, painting specifically is so is more subjective in my mind. And maybe it's just my own ignorance um, as well. But like, I feel like painting is more subjective than just about anything. Like you, yeah. you mentioned earlier that idea of songs and like there's a quality to certain songs that yeah. is clear. Like it's yeah. like immediately clear. Whereas I don't think that's true with painting. I think it's so much in the eye of the beholder, so to speak. Whereas, uh, you know, the structure of a song, a really well-written song is just immediately clear if it's yeah. great, right? Whereas painting, like you mentioned Basquiat, like somebody could look at that and be like, that is garbage. And yeah. somebody else looks at it and it's like breathtaking, right? So, whereas like, you know, Blood on the Tracks is just good. <laughs> like, <Yeah. there's> a, 
there's not like a whole lot of debate. Right. <laughs> you know, like you yeah. never listen to a Jason Isbell record and goes like, eh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's immediately clear. Whereas I think with, with painting. I, I was, I was bored at work of, uh, a few days ago because uh, it's just, it's super slow right now. And um, I was looking at uh, a Wikipedia article of the, the most expensive um, paintings ever, you know, by either like live, uh, you know, artists who are alive or, or maybe who aren't. And anyway, I was just like going back through, you know, looking at the paintings and um, I just like a couple of them, I was like, people pay that much money. <laughs> I mean, that is a block of blue. That's all that is, a blue block. I yeah. mean, that's crazy, you know, it's, anyway. But for somebody, it is the most incredible thing I've I know, ever seen. I know, and that is, that is a really intriguing thing to me about um, fine art. It's just like, first of all, like how difficult it, it feels, um, but then also, yeah, how, how subjective it is, how it can really move, uh, one thing could really move someone and then not another. But, you know, I mean, I suppose there are a lot of artists like that, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's art in general. Like, I, but, but again, I, I think that, like, it, tying it back to the idea of giving yourself grace around your, around your painting or around um, any sort of visual art you're creating is that it is a lot more subjective and, and certainly there are technical skills involved and you can yeah. you know you can you can hone those skills but um but ultimately like you know whatever moves you moves you and like doing that work i i love love doing my my partner is an artist and she does all kinds of stuff like she yeah. you know she makes uh everything from woodworking to making candles to painting and um uh, just this manically creating right mm -hmm. those kinds of things um and i don't like i don't sketch much i don't paint much but anytime we sit down and just like have a bottle of wine and, and do some sketching or some painting or whatever i'm always like why don't i do this more this is yeah, so exactly. good for the rest of my creative life yeah. it it makes me it forces me to think about the creative process in a different way than going back to my my comfort zone, which is writing a short story or a, you know a, an article about a record or whatever. Like those are the things I know I can do. Whereas a watercolor is like a foreign language to me, it's right? So hard. It's so hard. <laughs> oh, I lost you. Uh oh, can you hear me? I'm missing this. Uh oh, Christina, I'm missing this. All creative stuff. I mean, even when I when I find that I'm not like journaling. You, as hey, as sorry. Can you hear yeah. me? Okay. I I missed like a minute of that. Oh, okay. Um, after I said the thing about watercolor, like the sound just cut out. Okay, it's really hard. Watercolor. Did you hear me say that? Um, maybe. Okay. <laughs> I agree with you that watercolor is very, is pretty difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think, I think what is so, all of that is spot on in that uh, being, using your creative brain and things that you maybe aren't necessarily good at, like painting, for me, painting um, or, or any sort of like fine visual art, it, it's going to open up a new part of my brain that I don't necessarily use when I'm doing work or when I'm doing um the creative thing that I that I know that I'm 
that I'm uh, prove, proven good at, which is, which is playing music and writing songs and performing. So to do something that's so outside the comfort zone, I think it does kind of like tweak these, you know, neurons and, and fire off these synapses that, that are, are really healthy for your, for your creative self, you know, mm-hmm. winding back around to the one that, that you are good at. And that, you know, as much as I say that I don't really like the challenge or get frustrated with, with the challenge of new creative endeavors, um, I, I feel appreciative of that because then I remember, oh yeah, there was a time when I couldn't play an F chord for the life of me. And it mm. almost like, took, you know, put me off of playing guitar forever. I mean, I remember being in, I started playing guitar in ninth grade. I remember being like halfway through ninth grade and for how 14 years old and like getting to the f chord you know i knew how to play a g a c a d an a a minor e minor and i'm like man i'm rolling and then and then i get to the f and i'm like what is this is what <laughs> i have to do and like basically almost giving up on guitar mm-hmm. because it was so hard for my my left hand to do that and now you know it's it's fun to to remember oh yeah there was there was a time when i could barely you know transpose keys or, or whatever um, mm-hmm. with music or I didn't didn't know how to use my voice in the correct in and the best in the way that's best suited for you know how I sing or whatever so it is good to um it's it's good to to humble thyself I suppose <laughs> yeah no that's God, that's great oh good I'm glad that I asked you to repeat all that that's really wonderful and helpful um did you uh i'm gonna let you go you've been more than gracious for your time and i'm so grateful have you ever have you listened to you mentioned lincoln and the bardo which i obsessed over i think last year i read it um have you listened to blitz and trappers holy smokes future jokes no came out in like april i think of this year um but yeah it's inspired like a lot of the songs are inspired by uh lincoln and the bardo really yeah i think you're gonna dig it yeah there's it's a weird record and it's really really good um and there's some really beautiful moments in it but it's um it's pretty wild (laughs) it's a pretty wild that'll be be a new experience for me because i haven't really listened to blitz and trap trapper before so but you know one thing i was thinking about with lincoln and the bardo is and i didn't even really realize this until i got more towards the end of the book that it all spoiler alert it all takes place in one day mm-hmm. and and it's just like art that does does that specifically like movies and books that that do that it's just like i can't even you know i it just my brain is hard to wrap around that like you wrote a whole book takes place in one day like that is insane to me that's so cool you know i don't yeah. know that was one element of that book that i just really enjoyed so much well, and that, that speaks to what you were saying, though, about George Saunders and the way he tells stories. I mean, it's just such a fantastic, like everything, the details are so intense. Like you, you've, you're transported to this world that it doesn't exist, right? But, it, but you live in it and, and, yeah. and it feels so real when you're reading that book. Um, and it just, it just speaks to his genius with words. Yeah, I think, and I think one thing particularly about Saunders again is and other really great short story writers is the way that they just drop you right into a world or a situation and you kind of have to make up the backstory for it and Mm. like 
the you know who are these characters and and what do they look like and what is their story just with the tiny little details that he kind of sprink he or she kind of sprinkles in and i think i think honestly the best best songs story songs also do that as well they keep it vague enough um, mm -hmm. but they give you really can really give you beautiful specifics and i think lucinda williams is a great example of that someone that keeps it quite vague to where it's very relatable but also these just really beautiful details that you're like oh my god of course i've seen like the blue behind my behind the eyelids of my lover you know while they're sleeping mm -hmm. i mean it's just like things like that it just yeah that's that's the best writing to me there's such a respect for the audience you know it, yeah. it, it like it's endearing in that way that I, I feel respected when they allow me to fill in the holes you know totally, totally. It's, it's special it's it's yeah yeah absolutely Christina, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you, yeah, so, thank much. you so much. I really appreciate you having me and um, just a big fan of the show. So it's, it's, it's fun to talk about the creative process as opposed to like, what are your major influences? I mean, well, <laughs> that's all great and good too. And I love talking about that stuff too, but like this has yeah. um, opened up a new part of my brain. So <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, I'm, yeah, I, I can't imagine doing that kind of work, you know, like, um, uh, much respect to the the folks writing for the papers or whatever but like i just like to get down with people whose art i respect and um so this has been this has been awesome and i really appreciate your record I, i'm excited to hear whatever yeah. new you have in store whenever that comes you got the ep that's that's out now yeah. um it's beautiful also um mostly uh reworked your own songs and then i want to say there's at least one cover on yeah. there yeah no there's no covers it's just oh. uh it's just uh, one new new single. Yeah. New single, okay, yeah. So, but um, that it sounds great. And um, again, you're you're amazing, and I appreciate you. Okay, thank you so much. <laughs> Y'all have great holidays, and um, talk to you soon. All right, sounds good. Take care. Bye. Bye. Christina Murray, y'all. Thank you so much, Christina. What a delightful conversation. ChristinaMurray.net for all things Christina. Thank you so much to all of you for listening. The song you're hearing in this episode is Strong Blood from Christina's album Southern Ambrosia, which again, I can't say enough about. Give her a follow on social media. Do the same for The Marinade. We're on Instagram and Twitter. We love interacting on those two channels. I've been having a blast over on Instagram on my stories. I recovered my old CDs from the late 1990s and early 2000s, which would be my late teens and early 20s from my parents' house uh, over Christmas. 
and have been posting pictures of select albums for folks to uh, weigh in on. It's super fun. Come join the party, y'all. Tell a friend about the show. Leave a rating on your podcast app. Hit that subscribe button. These are all free ways you can support the Marinade, and we really appreciate that. Marinadepodcast.com for all things the Marinade. If you really like what we're doing, please consider joining our Patreon community where for just a few bucks a month, you can gain access to exclusive updates about the show, the Marinade, uh, our Patreon exclusive show, Jason's Journey, and so much more. Sometimes I release episodes early or the raw audio from episodes. I'm going to do something really special today, the, the day that I'm recording this, on our Patreon I'm going to put up the video of my conversation with the almighty Will Johnson, one of my top 10 at least favorite songwriters ever from Centromatic to South San Gabriel to uh, Molina and Johnson to all of his solo records. Uh, Just can't say enough about Will and his songwriting. This conversation was such a thrill, and I am so excited to edit this episode and get it out into the world, but that's going to be a while from now, and I don't want my Patreon patrons to have to wait, so I'm going to go ahead and release the video. Plus, there's a couple moments that will translate to audio, but um, but there's like some fun video things that happen, right? So it's not a typical interview where we're just kind of staring at screens, um, and, and I think it's... Uh, there, there's an aesthetic to Will, right? There's something like at once mysterious and approachable, if that makes any sense. And I, that comes through in the video in a way that probably doesn't come through in the audio. So for just five bucks a month, you can get um, all of that stuff. We actually have tiers all the way down to two bucks a month. Um, and uh, every little bit helps. So if we could get just get two bucks from everybody who listens to the show, we could do huge things. But that being said, I am not a salesman at all. Um, I understand that money is tight and uh, all the time for a lot of folks, and especially right now. So um, please don't feel any obligation, but if you want to connect and you can on a deeper level, please go for that. Uh, Patreon.com slash Marinade Podcast. It's super fun. Uh, it's, a, it's really a community over there. But those free ways to support mean just as much as the financial support. Um, and, and above all, just thank you so much for listening. All right, y'all, it's time for what I'm getting down on, the segment of the show where I talk about the art that is inspiring me at the moment. I've been reading a ton. I read Graham Greene's Dr. Fisher uh, of Geneva or The Bomb Party, which I absolutely adored. I found a copy at my friend Mary's establishment. It's a place in, here in Orlando in, uh, in my neighborhood, basically, in the Milk District, which is just down the street from where I live and where I, Chris and I have lived for several years. Um, it is it's really cool mary's a poet a writer and uh she and her um her co-owner matt duke who's an artist visual artist um have curated this spot that sounds exactly like uh, what a poet and a visual artist would create right so it's a it's a local spot all local beers it's a bar ostensibly but it really is like a community hub and mary is um had a books uh, a used bookstore for a while and so she has this shelf, uh, this large bookshelf right in the middle of the of the bar, and you can just take whatever book you want. So um, the other day, I went in there, had a beer um, outside. Uh, that's again, I'm being safe. 
I go in, purchase the beer, go outside, sit outside. But as I was paying, I noticed this book on the shelf from Graham Greene, and I love Graham Greene. Um, if you haven't read him, check him out. The Power and the Glory is a book I read years ago uh, about a drunken priest along the Mexico-U.S. Uh, border. Uh, great book. <laughs> Fucking great book. I absolutely love it. Um, this book was called is called Dr. Fisher of Geneva or The Bomb Party. It was... It just captivated me. I, I ended up. It's a. It's a pretty slim volume, but it's um, it just packs a huge punch in a, in a in a in a in a small space. Graham Greene is just as a master, and the the gist of this book is that this man of modest means falls in love with a wealthy Swiss man's daughter, and the wealthy man has these strange parties, um, and the story takes this really odd turn when the protagonist, who is married to the Swiss man's daughter. Um, and who was the narrator of of the story uh, goes to one of the parties. Uh, just check it out, y'all. It's great. Um, Dr. Fisher of Geneva or the Bomb Party. I also finished our good friend Seth Walker's book. Your van is on fire. Uh, it, I love this book for a lot of reasons. I love Seth. I mean, he's just such a nice guy, such a great musician, um, such a, a, a wonderful creative. And so giving with his time and his energy when he's been on the show, he's been on the show twice. If you have not heard those conversations, I highly recommend them. Um, some of the stories that he tells in on the show are in the book. And um, it, it's fun because like he tells all these kind of amazing stories about his life, uh, especially his life in, as a touring musician. But then he also will throw in like his poetry for a few pages. And then he'll throw in uh, his painting, uh, his beautiful paintings for a few pages. SethWalker.com to get your vanas on fire. Um, highly recommend it. Also, uh, I'm in. I'm gonna make make it happen that Seth comes on the show to talk about the book too. So you'll hear more about that coming up um, soon. And uh, check out Seth's music as well. I, I, any chance I get to plug Seth, uh, I want to. I just watched the film Delicatessen. It's a French film by the guy who made Amelie. Another film that I highly recommend, um, Jean-Pierre Jeannette. Uh, he made Delicatessen with a guy named Mark Caro. It's so good, y'all. Um, of course, my partner Chris would turn me on to a French post-apocalyptic dark comedy. Go check it out. It's hilarious and disturbing and wonderful. Um, a little bit closer to home, um, the short film Pusher by Andy Morrow. Pusherfilm.com to watch that. It's about a pill dealer in Appalachia, small town Appalachia. Uh, it's heavy, but it's very worth your time. And Andy is just such a wonderful creative. Um, check out her music as well and follow her on social media. Uh, Music-wise, y'all, I've just been obsessed with, with Will Johnson and his whole catalog. I, there's so many records. Centromatic had so many records. And uh, there's the South San Gabriel stuff, Will solo records, the projects he's been involved in. Uh, he co-produced Austin Lucas's Immortal Americans, one of our all-time favorite, like the show's soundtrack, it feels like sometimes. Uh, the Marinade soundtrack is Immortal Americans, and uh, Will played guitar on that as well. Uh, he's played drums with folks, like all kinds of folks. He's just an amazing guy, and um, so preparing for the episode, I was like, I always do my research, um, but with him, there's so much research to do. So I've just been lost in his music, and it's pretty much the only thing I've listened to is stuff involving Will Johnson, <laughs> and it's been a delight. So that, I don't have anything new to report music-wise because I've just been going back into his catalog. 
I have plugged his uh, his record El Capitan El Capitan before. That came out in 2020, and then the vinyl was released um, in January uh, in this month. Um, it's just awesome. I mean, can't say enough about that record. It's one of my favorites in a long time. And then the one he released in 2019, Wire Mountain, was my one of my favorites from that year as well. So um, Will Johnson, y'all, and look forward to that conversation coming very soon. Everybody, if you can, if you got the emotional capital at the moment, go out and create something. I love y'all. I appreciate you. Until next time, cheers, y'all.